Before I get into the word this morning, there's one announcement I need to make, and that is that as we are getting closer to our series that we're going to be beginning as we prepare for uh, the campaign that we're starting, A Glorious Future, where we're going to be letting you know more about what's happening and how we're going to be getting into our new church building, we're going to be having a meeting for uh, the congregation. We're calling it a pie meeting. It means pastor information exchange, but on this particular one, there actually will be pie served. Uh, And so it will be on October the 28th. It's going to be at 6 p.m. It will be held back in the cafeteria area of our church unless it's uh, so many of you sign up for that that uh, we can't hold it there. Then we will move it probably in here. But in order to sign up for that, you need to go to the Facebook event uh, or you can sign up in the foyer for that. On that evening, we will be bringing everybody up to date. We've been having some, some meetings with our leadership and departmental leaders and, and things of that nature leading up to this, but we want everybody in the church to have an opportunity to know what's happening, the process, how it's going, and, and how you can be a part of that. And so that meeting will be held again uh, October the 28th at 6 p.m. The deadline for signing up for that meeting is the 21st of October. So if you would... Uh, please sign up either through Facebook or in the the foyer in the back. It would be greatly appreciated. This morning, if you have your Bibles, I'm going to ask that you would turn to Judges chapter 17. It's it's a lengthy passage. There's about 13 verses. It's it's more scripture than I normally read and preach, but I'm I'm going to read it for you in its entirety. I'd heard Dr. Mark Rutland speak on this chapter, and I want to draw some thoughts from that. But before I do, let me set up for you what is happening within this chapter. There is a woman who had 1,100 shekels of silver, and somebody steals the silver. And upon discovering it, her anger is such that she begins cursing the thief. And when I'm, when I'm speaking about cursing, I'm not talking about profane language. I'm talking about she she was actually putting a curse upon the thief. And her son hears his mother putting a curse on the thief, and he comes racing in to say to her, please don't do that because I stole the money. And that leads us then into this chapter of Judges chapter 17 that I will read to you. Now a man by the name of Micah from the hill country of Ephraim said to his mother, the 1,100 shekels of silver that were taken from you, about which I heard you utter a curse, I have the silver with me. I took it. Then his mother said, the Lord bless you, my son. And then what I want you to do is keep track of some numbers for you that are really good at math as we go through this. So he returned the 1,100 shekels of silver to his mother, and she said, I solemnly, which means wholly or completely, consecrate my silver to the Lord for my son to make a carved image and a cast idol, and I will give it back to you. So he returned the silver to his mother, and she took, the, she took 200 shekels of silver and gave them to a silversmith who made them into an image and an idol, and they were put in Micah's house. Now this Micah had a shrine, and he made an ephod. An ephod is an elaborate garment that priests wore. And he had some idols, and he installed one of his sons as his priest. In those days, Israel had no king, and everybody did as they saw fit. A young Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, who had been living within the clan of Judah, left the town in search of some other place to stay. And on his way, he came to Micah's house in the hill country of Ephraim. And Micah said to him, where are you from? I'm a Levite from Bethlehem in Judah, he said, and I'm looking for a place to stay. 
Then Micah said to him, Live with me and be my father and priest, and I will give you ten shekels of silver a year, your clothes and your food. So the Levite agreed to live with him, and the young man was to him like one of his sons. Then Micah installed or consecrated the Levite, and the young man became his priest and lived in his house. And Micah said, Now I know that the Lord will be good to me since this Levite has become my priest. Now, before I pray, let me just give you a quick understanding again of everything that was within this chapter because it's so fascinating. Here we have a woman who has saved 1,100 shekels of silver to which she says, I have dedicated the entire amount to the Lord God Almighty, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And then from that money, she orders that two false gods, little idols, would be made so that she could give them to her son to worship. And not knowing all of that, he steals the money. The mom is now calling down a curse, which is an act of witchcraft, upon the thief. The son hears that, comes racing into his mother and says, Mother, I would prefer that you not do that because I am the one who actually stole the money from you. She says, I'm now consecrating this entire amount to you. So he returns the money to her, but she lied to him. She doesn't take the 1,100 pieces of silver to make an image. She only uses 200 of that. And she makes two false idols, give them to her son. Then she pockets 900 uh, pieces of silver out of all of that. Then she gives these two false idols to her son for him to worship, even though they declare that they are followers of the Lord God Almighty. Then a wandering Levite passes by, and the Micah who is there runs out to him and said, Would you be my priest? Makes a set of clothes for him that he was not uh, supposed to make, and then uh, installs him as a priest, even though he had no right or spiritual authority to do that himself. And then at the end of that, he says, Now I know that God will be good to me, or God will bless me, because I have a Levite as my priest. So, just to highlight, we have stolen money, a lying mother, a thieving son, money consecrated to God, used for false idols, a witchcraft curse which is placed, two episodes of somebody with no spiritual authority trying to consecrate priests for themselves, and then he says to himself, now I know God's going to really love me and really bless me because I have a Levite as a priest. Now, if you don't know by now, let me point out to you that the message today is about spiritual confusion. Now let's pray. Oh, Lord... If you would be so good to us today as to enlighten our hearts to the truth of your word and that, Father, we as people that stand before you would come to recognize the truth of your love and your grace and also your judgment and that you would then draw us to a place of safety in the truth of your word. And we ask that you would anoint this in Jesus' name. Amen. Some years ago, there was a movie with the late Robin Williams in it called Moscow on the Hudson. And it was, it was a story of a Russian immigrant in the height of the Cold War who came to New York with a group of people from Moscow. And while the, he was there, he decided to defect while he was in New York. And the Russian agents sent two KGB agents to come to New York to arrest him and to bring him back to Russia. And while these agents were in New York looking for him, they decided to take the opportunity to go shopping. And so I'm not sure what store they shopped in, but one of them found this beautiful, beautiful leather coat that he thought, I will buy because it will always remind me of my trip to America. So he was delighted to buy this jacket. And on the plane, on the way home back to Moscow, he happened to be examining this, and he opens the coat, and he looks at the tag on the inside, and he was furious when he saw that the tag said that this leather coat was made in Czechoslovakia. 
Now here's what I want you to think about. I want you to inspect your own label today. I want you to inspect where you are made. I'm not talking about where you were physically made or where you were born. I'm talking about spiritually. I want today for us to investigate where we are spiritually made. What does the tag on our spiritual life look like? Who made us and where was it done? In the Bible today, the first encounter that we have is with a man by the name of Micah. And he is living a monstrously confused story of false religion, of witchcraft, of thievery, and of lying. But the biggest surprise of this entire story is found in the last verse of that chapter when after he gets through all of this, these are his words. Now I know, I know, he says, that the Lord will bless me or that he will be good to me and I know this because I have a Levite who is a false priest because I dedicated him myself, but somehow I have satisfied a little bit of the element of religion, and as a result of having just a little bit of that element, I know now that God is going to look at me and bless me. And the first thing that I want to point out to you today is about self-made religion. Self-made religion. I know that you have heard people say this because I hear it all the time, but people will say things like, I know what the Bible says, and, and I know what they preach, and I know what you guys believe, and I know all of that stuff, but, and then they follow it up with this statement, but I just know what I believe. Have any of you ever heard people say that to you? You begin to express to them why you're, well, I, I know all of that, but I just know what I believe. <laughs> Who cares? I mean, what conceivable difference does it make what you believe? When we have people who, who cobble together all this stuff, maybe it's a, a little bit of Hinduism and a little bit of Buddhism and a lot of humanism, and, and then to make it all a little bit tasty, they, they add just a little bit of Bible or just a little bit of Jesus in there, and then they have the audacity to state, because I have added just a little bit of Jesus, just a little bit of the Bible, I know that God will bless me. I know that I'm living in right relationship because I've got just enough Jesus to make it tasty. Now, how many of you have ever watched Dirty Jobs with Micro? I, I, was, I was watching an episode of this the other day, and it just it began to dawn on me how, how great this is. There is a dish that that I believe was created in eastern Pennsylvania, and it's a traditional dish. How many of you have ever heard of Scrapple? Scrapple, okay, some of you have heard it. Let me tell you how it's made. You, you, you may not want hot chocolate after this, but we're, we're gonna work through this together. Scrapple is exactly like it sounds. It's scraps. It's breakfast scraps. So if you were to have breakfast with somebody that was there, at the end of it, they might take everything that you have left on your plate, the, the pieces of toast, maybe there's sausage, maybe there's bacon, maybe eggs, and they, they scrape it all into 
a pan, and then they'll take everything that you didn't eat, the leftovers. Maybe there's biscuits and gravy, and they, they scrape it all together into a mold, kind of like a, a bread mold. And then, on top of all of that, they pour some kind of molten animal fat. It, it may be from melted pig's feet. Uh, it may be from a pig's head. And they pour it on there into this bread-shaped mold, and then they put it in the refrigerator until it congeals. And then, so they pull it out after it's cool, and you have this congealed loaf of breakfast scraps suspended in animal fat. And then they slice it up, and they put it in a pan and heat it, and then... You eat it. That is Scrapple. Now, there are many, many, many people in our world today that create their own self-made religion, which is just kind of a super spiritual Scrapple. It is a bunch of beliefs that is mixed with feelings and then a heavy uh, load of our own desires and it's seasoned with our own will and then when it's convenient to them they pull it out and, and they say that this is my belief system the problem is that they top it all off with a spiritual entitlement that says now I know God will bless me because I have something. I've made it myself, and I've got all of these leftovers from everything that's suspended in this fat of my own will, but there's enough tastiness of Jesus in it that God must bless me. This man, Micah, is living in the depths of profound spiritual confusion. And let me say this before I move on to the next one. We are living in an era of tremendous spiritual confusion. There are people, I saw this recently, there are people that literally do not know the difference between the words of Jesus and Oprah Winfrey. They live in deep spiritual confusion and they create for themselves a belief system that they somehow believe God must now bless. And we must come to a place where we're able to sort out God's truth from what our own cobbled together scrapple of religion looks like. Let me tell you this, God's truth is immutable. It is unchanging. It is clearly revealed in his word. And if it's not in the Bible, if it's been added to the Bible, if it's been subtracted from the Bible or changed from the clear meaning of the Bible, then what you have today is merely man-made scrapple and it is not the truth of God. So that is, first of all, self-made religion. Secondly, there's man-made religion. Man-made religion doesn't depend as much on religion as it does the power of the secular world. Now, I'm not going to read all the scriptures, but I want to refer to a couple of them so that you'll know that what I am saying has a biblical foundation. In Matthew chapter 2, verses 16 through 18, we know the story because we hear it oftentimes at Christmas of the three wise men that are seeking the Messiah and they come to Herod the Great and they say to him that we have heard that there is a new king of the Jews that's been born. Well, 
Herod is the king of the Jews. And so this is not a happy announcement to him. And Herod begins to inquire of the religious leaders around him where the Messiah should be born, and they begin to tell him of the prophecies that declare Bethlehem to be the place where he is to be born. And he tells these wise men that when you find him, please return to me so that I likewise can go and worship this newborn king. We know that these wise men were warned in a dream not to go back the same way that they came because we knew that Herod had no intention of worshiping him, but he wanted to kill him. When Herod realizes that these men have eluded him, uh, he sends his soldiers to Bethlehem and he kills every male child under the age of two, and this is called the slaughter of innocents. Herod the Great was a genocidal maniac. He was a murdering class A psychopath. In fact, as you look at the history of his life, he killed so many people in his own family that Caesar, who was a psychopath himself, said of him, it is safer to be Herod's pig than to be his son. Killing these babies is clearly consistent with the murderous nature of Herod because Herod, what his belief system is, was a man-made belief system. Micah is self-made and he cobbles together his own religion, but Herod declares, I don't need God. I don't need any of that. I will make myself my own image and I will make myself my own ruler and I will make myself my own God. Herod is a representative of our secular world. The man-made, I can do it myself. I don't need anyone and I don't need any God to give me directions. I will take directions from no man and it represents the arrogance of our world today that states, I am man-made and I will create my own. Let me offer this. We who are believers are confronted with how we live in the context of a man-made culture. And we can make all kinds of decisions, and let me just point out a couple of them. One of them, Cindy and I this summer had a, an opportunity to go to Lancaster, Pennsylvania, and there we, we encountered Amish people all over the place. And, and I, I looked at them and I said, you know, we can pull away and we can decide to go to some place in history and decide to all dress in black and grow our beards long and, and not use modern machinery or drive horse and buggies, but there's nothing about that that's a biblical decision. That's a cultural decision that attempts to reverse a culture. They don't go back to the Bible days and dress like they did then. They, they chose 1851. And so everybody there looks like that. And, and what makes the culture of 1851 better than the 21st century? So the Amish response doesn't really work. They just choose a time and try to go back to that thinking, it's better than what we have today. The other option is to sell out to culture. We can say, I don't want to look different. I don't want to dress different. I don't want to sound different because I want to laugh at the same things. I want to go to the same places. I want to enjoy all of the same things that the cultures enjoys. And I don't want anybody in culture to be able to look at me and know that I am any different. But that's a sellout. And so on the one hand, you have a cop-out, and on the other end of the spectrum, you have a, a sellout. But we can say today, those of us that are in love with Christ and know him, 
I am who I am in Christ. And I am not made or defined by this world. I am not man-made. I am God-made. That's the label that I carry around on the inside because of what Christ has done in me and worked for me. I am God-made. Now, this doesn't mean that we try to make ourselves look differently. We all want to look nice, and we all want to go places in this world. But it is to say this. Scripture is perfectly clear. Do not let the world squeeze you into its mold, but be transformed by the renewing power of God that renews your mind. And here's what I would say to you, church. If that transformational power of God is working in you, you don't have to look or sound or talk or act differently because it will just show up. It's the fruit of God at work within you. It's God that makes the difference in us, not we ourselves. And so people will say, as they look at you, as you're walking in authentic, walking as authentic people that follow God, they will see you and they will say, that person is not man-made. That person is God-made, and they will be able to tell it because of the fruit that come from your life. So we have self-made religion, which is smug and self-satisfied and self-defined and blessing entitled. And we have the secular man-made individual that is the power monger of the world. But we have a third. I want to point out to you that the story of the third would be like King Manasseh. I'm not going to read the entire chapter of 2 Chronicles 33, but I'm going to highlight it for you just briefly because in that chapter there is an account of Manasseh and his despicable evil. He is the son of Hezekiah who was king during a great revival. He was a wonderful leader, a righteous king. Then his son takes over the throne, and when Manasseh took the throne, he was 12 years old. Is that not the dream of every teenager? I want to be king of the land at 12 years old. Oh, how wonderful that could have been. But this young king leads Israel back into all of the evil that his father had worked so hard to lead them out of. Manasseh even led them back into children and being sacrificed and even threw his own son into the fire of worship to worship the god Moloch. And so God breaks him. God breaks him. The Syrians are brought in and they conquer the kingdom. They capture him and they make him. Manasseh becomes a humiliated slave. He was forced to crawl under the table of his captors, picking up crumbs. He is a captive. He is lost. He is undone and he is finished. Micah is self-made. Herod is man-made. Manasseh is unmade. He is wiped out by God. Now, I don't know how many of you like poetry. Uh, and some of you that may, may not even admit it, but um, I've never been good at memorizing poetry. I, I have tried. So the ones that I remember are the really, really short ones, like Roses Are Red, Violets Are Blue, Cindy's Beautiful, I Love You, that, you know, that, that kind of thing. That <laughs> there was an English poet by the name of, of, of John Donne, who some of you may be familiar with some of his works. Uh, he's the one that wrote poems like, with a line like, no man is an island entirely of itself, or never send to know for whom the bell tolls, it tolls for thee. Some of you may be familiar with that. But when he was a young man, uh, he fell in love with a, a young girl by the name of Anne, and they eloped together and, and got married without her parents knowing it. 
And before the, the marriage could be consummated, her parents found them, and uh, they had John arrested. They took their daughter back. Uh, he never saw Anne again after that, and they threw him into prison. And while John Dunn was in prison, he took something that was sharp of, of some sort and began to carve into the wall of the prison a poem. And uh, the poem that he wrote there is one that probably all of us could memorize because it was, it was very short. It said this, John Dunn, Anne Dunn, Undone. And that was, that was the whole poem. So if any of you wanted to learn something today about poetry and, and be able to remember it, there, there's a great one for you. John Dunn, Anne Dunn, Undone. Well, I would say this. Manasseh was undone. He literally was unmade by God. And here's the hard part of the message that I need you to get. I love to preach grace. I love to preach forgiveness. I, I love to lift up the positive hope of salvation and redemption and release from bondage through Jesus Christ. I love that. But there is another side that we must also be reminded of, and that is this. The God who forgives us and redeems us by the blood of Jesus Christ is also the righteous judge of the universe. We don't like to talk about that. We don't like to preach the judgment of God, but it's real and we can't get around it. In fact, how can we understand grace unless we understand the judgment side of God as well? Unless we know what we are being saved from and have escaped because of his grace. God can unmake you. If you're a self-made man or woman, God can unmake you in a New York minute. God can do to you things when you have lifted yourself up that would shock you. Your man-made highest power systems in the world, God can unmake. He can take a Manasseh and put him on his knees, picking up scraps like a stray dog from another man's table, then he can unmake you. There was a man in Georgia many, many years ago that was telling the story of when he was a little boy. And this man was an old man when he told this story. It was something that had happened back in the 1920s. He said, my dad was a member of the Holiness Church. And he said, they got this new preacher. And he says, this preacher came to my house because my dad owned one of the only cars in the whole county. And this preacher came to him and said, listen, I understand that there is a moonshiner that lives out of town a little bit. And God has instructed me to go and talk to him. And I want to know, would you take me? Would you drive me out there? And, and he said, I'm standing next to my father. And the, my father looks at him and says, I, I want you to know this is a dangerous man that you are wanting to go talk to. And the preacher says, you don't have to take me. I'll find another way. He goes, no, no, I'll take you. I just want you to know the danger that you may be walking into. And this man said, when I was a little boy, for reasons I'll never understand, my dad told me I could come along on this journey. He said, so I sat in the back seat, and the preacher and my dad were in the front seat, and they drove up to this moonshiner's house, and the preacher got out, and my dad looked at me and said, you stay in the car, son. And as he got out, he said this moonshiner came walking out of his house and he was carrying a shotgun. And as the preacher got out of the car, he looked at him and he said, get back in your car. And the preacher said, listen, I am, I'm not a revenue agent. I am not with the law. I am the pastor of the Holiness Church and I have come to talk to you about Jesus. And he said the man raised his shotgun and 
aimed right at the midsection of that preacher and he says I know who you are and I am ordering you to get back in your car or I will cut you down he said that old preacher I looked at him and he said he he was as bold as brass and he took a few steps toward that that man with the gun he had his hands up he goes listen he says don't shoot me he says I I'm telling you that I'm not here to hurt you in any way but I am coming here under the directions of God because I'm here to tell you about the love of Jesus and how much he loves you and he said that moonshiner lowered his gun and he put his fist together and he raised his fist back and he looked at that guy and he said I know who you are and I want you to know that I curse you I curse your church and I curse your God and get out of my yard and he reached back and he said he came down with the butt of his his hand and thumped the preacher right between the eyes he said that preacher stood there for a moment and then he raised his hands and looked that man in the eyes and he says Thus saith the Lord, as you have tapped the man of God, so God will tap you. And he turned around and he got back into his car and they drove off. That man said, when I was a little boy, it wasn't but about a week later and we're driving down the road and there was a crowd of people off to the side of the road. And he said, my dad stopped the car and he went to see what was going on and then he came back and he said, son, I want you to see this. He says, this is going to be hard for you, but you need to see this. And he took that boy by the hand, and they climbed down the embankment. And that old moonshiner had, while he was driving, had gone over the embankment, and the steering wheel had come loose from his car. And when he went over the embankment, the the rod of that steering wheel shot right through his head. And that man said, as a little boy, I saw, and I couldn't get out of my mind, the thought that I remembered that preacher saying, as you have tapped the man of God and cursed our God, so God will tap you. He says, I have never forgotten that as long as I live because that steering shaft hit him in the exact spot where he had thumped the pastor right in the head. Now, you may say that's a pretty rough gospel story. Listen to what I am saying to you. If we stand before God Almighty with pride and arrogance of our heart and we said, God, I am a self-made man. I've created my own religion that you must bless. Or, God, I am a man-made person and I belong to the world and I vaunt myself against you. Listen, God is not obligated to give you a long life. God is not obligated to give you 80 years of life and perhaps a lingering death where you will have plenty of time to work through the aspects of forgiving other people and asking forgiveness of God. He's not obligated. He may do it, but he is not obligated. God can pull your ticket at a moment's notice. God can tap you and unmake everything that you have made. And he can do it in a minute. He can unmake your fortune. He can unmake your family. He can unmake your fame because there's no one that's famous enough or rich enough or powerful enough to withstand the unmaking power of Almighty God when you stand against him. But thank God Almighty it doesn't end there. Manasseh was broken. He was wounded. He had lost everything. And as a humiliated slave in a foreign country, the Bible says Manasseh humbled himself greatly before the God of his fathers. And God listened to his plea. And it says it brought him back to Jerusalem and gave him his throne back. 
it doesn't end with being unmade it ends with being remade one of the things that fascinates me about this is there are no details that are given there's there's no instructions of the mechanics of how God brought him back I don't know if his captor one day looked at him under this under the table of his his table eating things and just you know what you've been here long enough I want you to go back home and and somehow when you get back home maybe the people will will uh, receive you again you know, it, it doesn't God doesn't reveal any of that he simply says that he humbled himself before God greatly and God gave him back all of these things I want you to know that regardless of how you may find yourself today God can remake you we do not have to live in the unmade disaster of our sinful life God can lift us up and he can remake us and that is the wonder of grace the problem is this once people get to that place of being unmade, when all that they have invested is gone and all that they have hoped for is shattered, they have been so proud in the way that they've been self-made or man-made that now their pride begins to inform how they live in the time of being unmade. And many people will say, I didn't turn to God when things were good. I'm not going to turn to God when things are bad. And folks, that is craziness. That is craziness. A little over six years ago, Rich Walker and I got together. Rich told me about a friend of his that was, had leukemia, was in the hospital, and Rich and I went to visit him. His name was Tom. Over the course of that hospital visit and some visits that I had with Tom, both in the hospital and within his house, there was a time when we were together, and Tom asked, he said, would you pray with me? Would you pray with me so that I could come to know Christ as my Savior and I said Tom that would make me happier than about anything in the world and as I'm getting ready to pray he stopped me and he says listen before we pray before we pray I have to ask you a question pastor he said do you think that God will take this decision seriously because I'm making it when I'm ill and I'm making it when I need him or is he just going to brush me off because I didn't come to him when I was well. He says, Pastor, do you think that I'm making this decision just because it's hell insurance? And I told him, Tom, I am 100% convinced that the decision you're making is because you're ill. I am 100% convinced that the decision you're making is hell insurance. 100% convinced of it. And Tom just kind of lowered his head like, then I looked at him and said, but Tom, the good news is there's no other way to come to Christ. We don't come to Christ just because it's a nifty idea. We come to Christ because there's moments in our life that brings us to a self-awareness where we recognize our need. And in this moment of self-awareness, we come before him and we recognize I am unmade. I literally am unmade. And I have no hope unless you remake me. And I got a chance to pray with Tom today, who is in heaven today rejoicing with the angels because in a moment of self-awareness, Tom said, I want Christ, and he was remade. So when you come to the end of everything and you stand before the throne of Almighty God, it will be the most tragic and horrible mistake of your life to appeal for restoration and forgiveness and eternal life based on the scrapple of your own self-made belief system. It will be a disaster for you. 
If you stand before him and say, but look what I put together and I added a little bit of you in there, you've got to bless me. I'll tell you, You could tell him about all the jobs that you've held and all the money you've earned or all the educational degrees that you have learned and it will be a disaster when you stand before God. But if you will stand before him, humble with only this plea, God, I was unmade by my own sin and by your righteous judgment I was unmade and I don't deserve anything but I plead the blood of Jesus I plead the blood of Jesus Christ of Nazareth and all that that represents because that's my only hope as I stand before you if you will do that you will recognize a grace of God that will come flooding over you but if you do it on your own it's going to be a disaster Close your eyes, if you would, please. If you're here this morning and you would say, Pastor, as you've been sharing the word, I instantly am gathering images in my own mind of things that I have compromised, thinking as long as I go to church or as long as I know a little bit of the Bible, if I add a little Jesus to my self-beliefs that somehow, like Micah, I'm thinking, God will have to bless me, but today I'm feeling a conviction in my own heart, and today... I know that I am unmade if I were to stand before God right now. I am unmade and I need to be remade today. Maybe you've been a follower of Christ, but you've allowed things in your own life that have brought you to a place where you recognize today that if you were to stand before God right now, it would be a disaster. But you want to be remade today or if you'd like to know him for the very first time. I'm going to ask while no one is looking around but me, that you would just raise your hand. I'm going to acknowledge you, and I'm going to pray for you. I will not embarrass you, but this is a big decision. This is a big decision. It's the biggest decision. Is there anyone this morning as I'm looking around say, Pastor, that's me. I need to be remade. I need to be remade today. Yes, ma'am, I agree with you. Yes, sir, I agree with you. Yes, sir, I agree with you. Yes, sir, I agree with you. The Holy Spirit is working. Yes, sir, I agree with you. Anyone else? The Spirit's knocking on the door of your heart. Heavenly Father, as we approach you today, I I thank you for your word that doesn't leave us hopeless. It indicates that in our helplessness, we come to understand in this moment of self-awareness how desperately we need you. And that maybe we've tried to cobble together some self-made belief or we've declared to you, I don't need you, I am man-made. And maybe today they recognize that there is a distinct aspect of their life that you have completely unmade them. But today we come before you because you are the remaker of people through your grace. And today we have an opportunity. And I pray with those that raise their hand that in this moment of self-awareness they are declaring to you, God, I come before you not on my own works, but I come before you strictly on the work of Jesus Christ who died for me and I will stand before you one day not as a disaster, but wholly upon the shed blood of Jesus Christ for my salvation. And I ask that the decision that they made by lifting their hand, O God, would be one that would not be a quick decision that's made here and quickly forgotten, but would become the steps of a lifestyle pursuing you with all they have and with all they are. And I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. I'm going to ask our altar workers if they would please come 
and be here in the front. Because for those of you that raised your hand today, I also want you to take the steps of boldness to say, I'm not just going to raise my hand in private. I'm going to take a step in public because I want, when I stand before God, for him to publicly declare that he knows me. I will not be ashamed of the decision that I have made to be a follower of Jesus Christ. And in just a moment, I am going to pray a concluding prayer, and then I want every one of you, every one of you that raised your hand to step out of your seats, and I want you to come down here because there's somebody here that has been prepared for this very moment to pray with you to see your life remade, to see your life remade. Heavenly Father, as we conclude this service, I ask that nobody would escape your grace and the offer that you are giving today for brand new life in Jesus Christ. And Father, as we slip from this room and we begin to enjoy some fellowship together and some hot chocolate, may we be reminded of the great gift that you have given us of the family of God and of the church that we can gather together with and develop relationships with and friendships that we can walk together in this journey of growing in the Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.